0: The word of the Lord again, repeated from the gospel lesson, Jesus answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him, Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table." This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus. All of you gathered here in this place as well as those of you who may be joining us through our cable broadcast or or through the internet, God's mercy and grace be upon you as well. The Israeli offensive shows no sign of letting up. Endless launches of rockets by Hamas and other military factions here. There were more deadly attacks in the hours leading up to this latest truce. In Gaza City this morning, Israeli forces hit more targets. Heavy fighting since the Israeli offensive began now puts the Palestinian death toll above 500. We were stopped on the highway by a siren, indicating a rocket was launched from Gaza in our direction. All this violence makes the possibilities of a ceasefire seem very remote to the people here. Kind of ironic, isn't it? We begin a sermon with grace to you and peace. And yet we know that that peace is in many places in many ways not known throughout the world. The conflict between Israel and especially at this point, its neighbors in Gaza, It has made the news. You're familiar with it, I'm sure. To know how the layout is. Maybe you've gotten a reminder of your biblical geography, if nothing else, in the eyes of the modern-day map of Israel. To know where Gaza is, that strip along the Mediterranean Sea. And then, of course, the West Bank is also one of the disputed areas between the Palestinians and the Israelis. And, And so much has been in the news, the conflicts, the war, the bloodshed. The violence. But as you may know, this is not the first time that Israel has been at war with its neighbors. Boys and girls that are here this morning, I'm going to give you permission to talk in church in just a second. Because when I show the next picture, it's not up there now, is it? Oh, good. I can never tell. Um, That when I show the next picture, I want you to tell me who it is. All right. I think you'll know it. I think you'll recognize. So when it comes up, boys and girls, I want you to tell me who that is. Who is that? Anybody? David and Goliath. That's right. Everybody knows that story, don't you? Most everybody, maybe. Goliath and David and with the sling and so forth, David won the battle. David, of course, would become king of Israel and lead it to its greatest uh, time in history. Do any of you boys and girls know where Goliath was from? What country he was from? I think I heard it. He was a Philistine. And in in the days of David and Saul and so forth, this is what the map looked like. And you'll see that same area that was called Gaza before is called Philistine or Philistia back in those days. And there was five main cities, one of which was called Gaza, hence the name today. Then there was Ashkelon and um, Ashdod and Ekron, and Goliath was actually from a town called Gath. I think that's on the map too, it might be. Uh, written as Gat, but uh, that's where Goliath was from. Familiar, isn't it? A battle, a war between Israel and its neighbors. Well, what do we make of such a war? Why is it that Israel seems to be at the heart of conflicts throughout its existence? Some might say it has to do with the fact that from their beginning as God's chosen people, when God made his covenant with Abraham and his descendants after him, when he set them apart as the chosen nation, well, that's what started it. Kind of like when Joseph was Jacob's favorite son, how did the other boys react to that? Well, they were jealous. And some have said that perhaps as even as Israel was God's chosen nation, so the other nations were jealous. And thus there was conflict. Perhaps. Some have pointed out the fact that God made it very clear that Israel was not to interact, especially to intermarry business, socializing in the same way with the nations that were not part of them as with their own people. And so it was a restriction that God placed on his people for a very good reason to keep the people of Israel and the line of the Messiah pure until the Messiah would come. Like so many good things in the hands of sinful people, that restriction turned into a view of other nations as being inferior, as being worthless perhaps, as being unclean, and so the enmity and the hatred. And yet, even as God gave those restrictions to Israel, he had made it clear all along. Our Old Testament lesson is one example where God made it clear that eventually God's salvation would be for all people. He said, my house shall be a house of prayer for all nations. And yet somehow that didn't translate in the interactions of Israel with its neighbors and thus enmity, hatred, distrust, often negative derogatory comments going back and forth. Well, that brings us to the time of Jesus. And in the account from Matthew chapter 15, Jesus on one of the very few occasions in his ministry stepped outside of the borders of the land of Israel. Now, he didn't go into Gaza or Philistia. He was up in the northwest section off of Israel in the region of Tyre and Sidon. You can see it circled there, at least. I hope that's the map on the screen. And you can see Jerusalem pointed out and so forth. But the point being, he had stepped outside of Israel, and now he has an interaction with someone who was not from the people of Israel. Israel. How would this encounter go? Well, Matthew tells the account. This woman comes up crying and pleading, as many had in Jesus' ministry when they knew what he was capable of. But in this case, Jesus absolutely ignored her. Gave her the cold shoulder, shall we say. He was perhaps sending a message, leave me alone. In fact, the disciples got to the point, as we're told, that they came and said, Jesus, get rid of her. She's making a scene. We don't want to deal with this. Send her away. Jesus finally makes a comment to to his disciples, I guess, as much as anybody, and he says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. If his silence hadn't sent a message, that statement should have. Kind of like to this woman, hands off. I'm not here for you. I'm here only for the children of Abraham. She didn't take the hint. She didn't stop. She continued. In fact, she gets more aggressive. We're told that she came and she knelt before him. She fell down on the ground at his feet. And she cried out, Kyrie, It lays on, Lord, have mercy, help me. The cries of a parent who is pleading on behalf of her child. Maybe you can identify. Maybe you know what it is to have a dear one to you afflicted in some way or another. And to cry out with that type of emotion, with that type of passion, Lord, have mercy. Jesus then says these words. I'm interested what you think of them. When you think of Jesus, he says, It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. How many of you kind of cringe when you hear those words? Did Jesus really say that? Is that what he meant? Is it what I think it sounds like? That sounds like the ultimate insult. And I thought Jesus treated all people with compassion and love. I don't know if we truly know how this woman took those words if she, in fact, read between the lines and got the message loud and clear that she was valued as little as a dog compared to the Israelites. Or, as some have thought, perhaps this was simply a phrase of the day that was so familiar, I don't know if this is a good example, but You know, we might use phrases at times when uh, a bunch of like-minded people get together and start talking and so forth. We might say, birds of a feather flock together. And we know what we're talking about without implying that those people are birds. I don't know. Again, I don't know how this woman interpreted Jesus' words. But ultimately, it didn't matter. Because even these words did not pers- dissuade her. She simply responded, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Do you realize what she's saying there? Do you realize what she understands about the Messiah, about this Savior, who I would imagine she had never met, only heard about, and yet she knew more about him than many perhaps even of his own followers. She was saying, what I am asking, Lord, to you who have all power, who are the Messiah, I'm only asking for a crumb to heal my daughter. You can do far more greater things than this. All I'm asking for is a measly little crumb. Won't you grant at least that? What a spirit of humility. What a spirit of of unworthiness. And yet, what a spirit of faith. And that's precisely what Jesus says. Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. The miracle happened. Her daughter was cured with just a crumb. I don't know if you noticed the title to the sermon. If you did, no, if you didn't, no big deal. (laughs) You may have been puzzled by it, that's fine. It simply says this it says, dog, lost sheep, or child of Abraham, almost as if it's a multiple choice question. So, which are you? Well, if you're like me, who as far as I know have no Jewish blood, no direct line to Abraham in my family tree, I guess I would have to say I'm also a Gentile dog in that sense. But you know, from a spiritual perspective, I wonder how many of us wouldn't have to confess that we are like dogs. Now, I know some of you have very well-trained pets and dogs out there but then some of us don't. <laughs> and how often in our spiritual lives don't we live like those dogs that, well, they just don't mind so well, do they? In fact, they need stern commands. They may need a, uh, a check leash or a choke collar. Maybe you even have one of those shock collars, and I hope you don't get too much pleasure out of buzzing them, but that's what God's word needs to do to us so often, doesn't it? As we tend to wander outside of his boundaries and his parameters that he set for our lives, he needs to send us the word of his law that says, stop! Don't go any farther. Because just like dogs, we often are only interested in what we want. But you know that as Christians, as baptized Christians, we are part of the flock. We are part of the good shepherd's flock of sheep, but like the Israelites in his day, often lost, wandering, going astray, being lured in this direction or that, helpless and hopeless, but thanks be to God, the good shepherd comes looking for us. He comes to find us. No matter what our background, our pedigree, no matter what our behavior, no matter what our circumstance in life, no matter how long we have been away from the Lord or how often we've come to worship, he comes looking for us. And when he brings us back once again, all heaven rejoices because of God's grace. You know, Joe... And family, we welcome you to be here, and we thoroughly and look forward to a wonderful year of learning and ministry amongst us and, and we pray that, that your ministry, as you grow and learn in that, that you experience that same um, experience of God's grace who has called you back and yet also chooses to use you specifically in the career that you are pursuing in the pastoral ministry to be used by God to, to bring his sheep back to his loving fold to encourage and remind them of God's grace and love. And we pray rich blessings for you. We know that by God's grace in Jesus, though we may not have the same background or pedigree, we have been made children of Abraham by faith. Romans that section that Pastor Brant mentioned, especially chapters 9 through 11, we've been reading pieces of it over the last few weeks, and, and if you've tried to make perfect sense of it, I hope you've been as troubled as I have been because it's not easy. In those words, Paul talks about election, predestination. He talks about God hardening heart and people hardening their hearts. He talks about how some rejected and some have been chosen, about branches getting broken off and new branches getting grafted in. And the fact that when some were broken off, new ones could come in, but be careful because those could get broken off. He even says to the point of all Israel will be saved. Now, I think in some cases that phrase is misunderstood. Certainly the prayer would be that God's people would be uh, brought from every tribe and nation as as we've sung and proclaimed this day, and that, yes, many of the Jewish faith would come to Jesus. And God bless the ministries that take place specifically to people of Jewish background, whether it be the Apple of His Eye ministry or Jews for Jesus or any number of different ministries. But ultimately, what matters is that we are children of Abraham by faith. And maybe that's where this story, this account of this Canaanite woman may play such a powerful role for us. Because we see what is truly important. We see how God's mercy works. That it is indeed based on grace. She had no right to come to Jesus. She had no standing before him. And yet, she called on him in faith. As we live our lives, we pray for God's peace and blessing. And he gives us so much good. But in those trials, in those challenges and tough times, in those temptations and difficulties, may we ever look to the Lord. May we continue to throw ourselves at his feet. May we bow down and worship him and say, Kyrie eleison, Lord have mercy. And may we echo that cry of that woman. Grant us even a crumb, Lord, because a crumb from you is far greater than anything else we could receive. May it be so. In Jesus' name, amen.